One morning in 2015, I woke up on the first day of a holiday on the Gold Coast in Australia. It was before dawn, and the birds outside in the park along the seafront were also waking up. I couldn't identify a single bird I was hearing. Not one. I couldn't picture the birds making these sounds. I had no idea of their names, their place in myth or superstition. And for a bird lover like me, this experience was both alienating and thrilling. So since then, I've often wondered about people coming to Ireland for the first time on holiday or to live. Was there a similar experience for them? It was, it was the wind. I was walking down home and it seemed like the wind was piercing through me. I hadn't experienced anything like that before. It was very challenging. I, I started taking, uh, you know, health supplements to be able to brave the weather. And um, that reminded me of a TV show I was watching once and the guy goes wild in the wilderness and he's traveling everywhere and he comes to Ireland and he says, I give up here. <laughs> so I just bowed down to the weather that day. You're listening to Encounters, stories about our natural world. I'm Regan Hutchins. In this episode, our stories are linked by ideas of home and community. Making a new home, returning to an old one, and studying the world outside your front door. Our first encounter is in Dublin. Tapasya Narang left Delhi in India four years ago, and she's now a PhD student at the School of English at All Hallows College in Drumcondra. She suggests we walk around the grounds of the deserted campus where she has an office. I meet her at the end of May, when most colleges would be full of students facing exams with end-of-term jitters. All Hallows is always as quiet, so it's... <laughs> It's it's a rarity to see a lot of people here. What do you think would be different without the without the pandemic? Even where we're standing now, it's just the loss is overwhelming. It's it's the loss of time. It's the loss of you know the collegiality and the memories you make. Uh, it seems like you're living the same day over and over. Yeah, there'd be more uh, socializing, of course. Lots of hugs. <laughs> that I miss a lot. And Do you? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a very huggy person. <laughs> so somebody just commented, oh, you're a desperate hugger. <laughs> yeah, I miss that. I, I didn't know how to survive it. But then, uh, yeah, I've gone without hugs for a year and I'm still standing. <laughs> Do you have a, a very powerful spring in Delhi? No, no. I, I always joke that, you know, if Wordsworth came to Delhi, then he would be cured of his romanticism. <laughs> it has its moments and its... I know that there's a gorgeous tree trail right outside where my parents live and there's a park, huge, huge park, and it's, it is quite green in comparison with other cities. It is quite hot and uh, with global warming, I think. Uh, we see the impact, the summers are becoming longer. I've only heard what's happening in India from our own media. 
And I'm curious if you will tell me what's happening in your country at the moment in May 2021. Um, Delhi has an oxygen crisis in the middle of the pandemic and a lot of people have choked to death in and around the city. And, you know, people you knew, they've just fallen dead like flies. So it's, it's just difficult to see how people have disappeared uh, from the face of the earth during these last few weeks actually so the wave came quite suddenly it was no one was prepared for it least of all our government does this surrounding which is just a park with lovely old trees but does it give you some comfort or inspiration or do you feel anything that can help you through this time yeah it's a mix of comfort and guilt because I wish I could share that with more people. But of course, um, I, I really enjoy it and uh, let myself calm down when I'm here. I remind myself, you know, that this is my reality for the moment. And before I'm going indoors after my lunch, I take a look and I stop and I do appreciate the beauty and, and the landscape even while hard things are happening around. I love my solitude here as well. What What do you mean by your solitude? I mean, I, I can hear myself, my thoughts, that you can't in Delhi. So Virginia Woolf said something about the room of her own. I feel like, you know, this place has given me that space to expose myself, my thoughts, and, you know, what I wanted to do. It is quite challenging because you're not sure where the home is. I understand uh, why people write about migration experience and things like that. It's quite disorienting because you've lived here for four years and I lived in Delhi for 12 years. Before that, I lived in Haryana for 12 years. So um, I can't imagine Delhi as, a, as my home anymore. Tapasio wants me to see the world from her office window. When we're there, I ask her about a photo of her on the wall near her desk. In it, she's dancing with an expression of joy. She's wearing a white sari. She tells me it's a graduation photo. The sari is over 30 years old, and it belonged to her mother. I, I love that picture. It's um, my um, mother. By then she was a mental patient and she was going through a lot of ill health. So I wanted to wear her sari and tell her how important in my life she was. I was 12 when uh, it started happening. She, she lost her memory and uh, she, she started having nervousness issues and anxiety and she would lose her way if she stepped out. She has three daughters and in a patriarchal society that's hard. So once my sisters got married and, you know, the dowry issues and all those things that women have to think about in the country, those were resolved. She really um, recovered just... Miraculously, you know, without medication, but through happiness. So whenever, you know, things were light and happy, she was always fine. So I do make sure that I do something to make her happy and then her symptoms don't return. Are you frightened that she's going to have a relapse in, in, in this time of COVID? 
yes yes i i am very frightened i think she's very vulnerable um my um mother is is definitely my inspiration almost i dress like her and you know i have been like her i grew hair as long as her and of course like she always says oh your father is uh, the stronger presence but i say it's you being you know um, a homemaker not having the resources not having an income she was this pillar of strength in our lives and i still have faith that she will get through this because i've seen the strength while i've seen her vulnerability as well i see one magpie on the lawn yeah it uh, signifies sorrow but it comes from the crow family and we say that crows are wise creatures and they are our ancestors visiting us so that's not the same in every culture tell me about this view from your work desk today it's really nice because it's very sunny and what about when it's grey and raining and the wind is lashing outside and <laughs> i don't mind that at all my tropical heart loves that i love the endless vista of green I like to see this chapel and it's really pretty. It tells me that the sky is the limit. There's a lot of, you know, space in terms of your personal space and there's a beautiful vista to look at. So when I'm here, it seems like everything's possible. You're listening to Encounters, stories about our natural world. I'm Regan Hutchins, and in this episode, I'm meeting people to hear about their ideas of home and community and their place in it. While Tapasyan Narang was lifting her gaze to that endless May sky over a college campus in Dublin, Orla Murphy was lowering hers to examine the quiet road above her house. She's looking for butterflies which have just begun to appear in the late spring. In fact, I was assaulted by one on my way to meet her. That would be our resident, speckled wood. Uh, speckled woods uh, are very, very territorial, and so he had to come out, I always say he, and <laughs> investigate. He will come out and almost uh, fly in your face. That's exactly what he did. Really, yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, we have two residents. I didn't realise that. There's one that, that patrols the, the lane that we have just walked on and the other one is on the other side of the house and I suspect that they don't realise that each of them is there because they wouldn't tolerate it. You see fights between speckled woods. There's um, a friend I have who's a great butterfly man. You know, he's quite chunky, solid fellow. And he once said to me, he said, you know, the speckled wood is a very aggressive butterfly. <laughs> Orla Murphy is now a country dweller for longer than she was ever a city dweller. She's been reading and writing in her home near Baltimore in West Cork for almost 40 years. And for 11 of those years, she's been counting the butterflies that grace the fields and hedges along one short stretch of road close to her home. She sends details of her findings to the National Biodiversity Centre. So her walks are far from aimless. 
But I'm fascinated by someone who spends all that time getting to know one road so well. It's a great joy in just constantly walking the same, the same, because it never is the same. There's always something else, there's always, or then reassuringly there is, you know, the same beautiful uh, white thorn or mayflower coming out at the same place, in the same spot. Um, and so that's reassuring, but then there's always this element of surprise. Oh, 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 now it's too far away, but I'd love to see this little brown, pale brown one there. Now what is that? It's too far away. Uh, come this way, come this way. Well, it would be very nice to think that it was a small heath. I'm afraid it probably isn't. A small heath is one of the ones that is reducing in numbers terribly. So one gets very anxious, and this is the right time now for it to start to appear. Um, but we'll keep our eyes open anyway. That's the great thing about doing the walk. You walk out and you see something and think, oh, what was it? And then you walk back, and if you're lucky, there it is, and you get a better look at it, you know? A, a woman who walks up and down this road, you know, studying what's happening around. I think that's very passionate, actually. Mm. Mm. You know? Yes, yes. Well, you do get very involved. There was a wonderful man lived along this road, and I think I partly picked that up from him. I only met him a few times. But I was describing to him how I had seen a blackbird's egg on the ground, and... He wanted to know exactly where it was because I think he was thinking of the blackbird that he knew in precisely the place where he knew it. So that was the one that he would have been passionate about, you see. And it took me a while to, to work that out because I was still at the cityish level of saying, well, you know, it's the countryside or they're blackbirds, you know. What does it matter? But it's, it is very specific and very local. Now, what's that on the ground there? Oh, it is a blackbird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the end of our walk, however, Orla brings me to a site of Holocaust, where the road stops at the edge of the sea. An overgrown lane and the hedge around a ruined house have been recently sprayed and burnt with chemicals. For Orla and for the butterfly she counts, a paradise has been lost. This was an unforced nature reserve because we are now on the absolute edge. So you have the uh, wildflowers, what is left of them, um, and wild grasses. And so this was, this was particularly good for the grassland butterflies like the wall brown, which is reducing and reducing all the time and all it really needs is you know a bit of of the older types of grass uh, some of which i can still see indeed and there's even little purple flowers mm. over there that have survived somehow mm. Mm. yeah lovely vetches growing along here beautiful then there would also be the small heath butterfly which i first saw nipping up the edge of the, the cliff just, just over there. It's the first time I'd ever seen one, you know, which is a very pretty little butterfly, very small. I saw that first here, also the common blue and the wall brown and the grayling. And I don't know what's going to become of all of those, you know. 
When did you discover this uh, had been burnt by chemicals? I suppose three weeks ago. Mm. And were you broken-hearted? I was, yes. Or angry? Um, I think I was more broken-hearted, but I am relieved that that I, you know, took what's left of my courage in my hands and approached the people, and they were very receptive, really. There's nothing at all they can do about it now except wait and hope that it will regenerate. I mean, nature does, doesn't it, you know? But, uh, yeah, you do have to be... And you see the things that are growing up through it. Where's... Oh, 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 as I speak... That is, that is a small heath butterfly. See how tiny it is? Yeah, it's flickering around, kind of pale brown. Wasn't it when it was flying? Well, it's got a little orange mark on the tip of its wing. Mm. Isn't that lovely? It's just so, oh, there it goes, dashing around. I mean, you'd nearly say it was a moth. It's so small and so pale. Yeah. What is it about your personality that draws you to a butterfly and allows you to feel empathy for something that we very often just walk over or drive into? Well, I think when I lived in the city, as I did for all of my life until I was 30, those were, if they were noticed at all, were just part of the background. But then when I came to live in the country, you'd like to know what it is that you are in the middle of. Things as small as butterflies and small birds actually take up very little room. You know, it's not difficult to, um, to accommodate them. So just initially, a sort of curiosity about my surroundings and then gradually a sense of profound admiration for how these creatures manage to survive despite us. Orla marked out her territory 11 years ago and she stuck to it ever since. So she might appreciate the robin redbreast who guards his patch in a place I visited recently. Senan Gardner is an educator and an ecologist in Thomastown, County Kilkenny. And when I meet him, he's sharing his working day and his lunch with this little robin. Today I opened up and I was actually trying to fix the compost system we have up above and uh, uh, with our very hungry little robin who's following me around all the time. Tell me about your robin. (laughs) He's just flown up into the Hawthorne now. Yeah, yeah, he came down. Yeah, robins, I heard a story recently from one of the community gardeners here that robins evolved to unearth grubs alongside boars. And so they treat gardeners like they would boars. And when the boars are done rootling in the mud or whatever for, I don't know, truffles or something, the, the, <laughs> the robin comes and steals my crisps. <laughs> just sorry. We have a pack of, open pack of crisps on the table and the robin has just gone in and taken a few. So, <laughs> yeah, it knows that I'm a source of food. Let's put it that way. Last summer, Senan packed up his life in Berlin after eight years there. His relationship with a German man had ended and he was struggling to finish a PhD. Our last encounter brings us to the community garden in Thomastown, County Kilkenny. Senan Gardner shares his story of finding his place again at home after saying goodbye to Berlin. It just came to a point where 
my partner wanted to move on from Berlin. He wanted to move on in life in general. And I was always broke because I was doing the PhD and doing part-time jobs to try and support myself to do the PhD because the scholarship had run out. And my partner always had very uh, champagne tastes for my, not even my beer income, <laughs> my, my water income. There were stresses around that. He wanted to go um, foreign places on holidays. And I was like, can we go to this nearby place here for a weekend? Did you feel any pressure when you returned back to your own community in Ireland? It's not like you're disappearing into a capital city. Uh, what kind of pressure did you feel to justify being away for so long? Yeah, if anything, um, I felt, I, I definitely felt pressure there. I felt pressure in, yeah, having to, to show what I had done for that time to show that I hadn't been sort of on pause, that I, I'd, I'd, I came back with something. And that was difficult because, yeah, my PhD wasn't finished. My relationship was over. Uh, in a way, I was coming back going, am I a mess? I mean, one of, the, you know, one of these broken toys coming back to be fixed. Um, I won't lie. I, 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 I did feel I had a lot of, um, you know, bouts of depression around that. Uh, it was difficult. And in a way, the pandemic was a great excuse to sort of come back and collect myself. Come back to Ireland? Yeah. You know, it's one of the greatest things about the pandemic is you can say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't come visit you because I'm not vaccinated. Or, oh, I'm, I'm going to come back and help my family out. When really, what I needed was a space for myself. So many of my Berlin friends have been messaging me going, where are you, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, I'm back in Ireland helping out my family. And, you know, that's a bit of a coward's way out when really it was like, I needed time for myself to reconnect and redevelop myself and just work on building up my self-esteem again mm -hmm. as, a, as an academic. I'm pretty decent as it turns out. <laughs> so when I came back, I think what I was doing was really connecting in with what started me on this sort of career, this vocation in the first place was reconnecting with nature. The community garden where I meet Senan is built into a cliff wall and it overlooks the town and the River Nore. The garden is crowned by an ash tree which has somehow grown on top of a large alcove in the wall. Senan and I stand in the alcove under the roots of the tree, surrounded by wildflowers. I'm looking at ox eyes, I'm looking at elder in flower there, that looks lovely. Mm -hmm. I don't want to read too much into it, but, you know, this ash tree planted above a cave, right on the banks of the River Nore, high above it, looking down. There's something, well, very ancient and almost almost a little bit mystical about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's sort of seen as, um, in older times, in maybe the Breton laws, it was seen as the tree of life, uh, one of the noble trees of Ireland, and... Uh, in ancient laws in Ireland, there were certain trees that if you cut them down, you could actually have huge penalties for them. There's huge amounts of mythology and folklore associated with the ash. And one of the most current ones in Kilkenny is, of course, that they're the source of hurling. <laughs> so <laughs> hurling sticks. So, uh, yeah, so they, uh, of course, are uh, very, very valuable here. I mean, I grew up in really rural actually just over the border in South Tipperary on the way to Mullen home. Uh, like our, near, our nearest neighbours were about three kilometres away. We did grow up in like complete famous five or what, what's my friend called? Free range kids. 
<laughs> just able to be wild to like parents sending you out in the summer to go out with your friends and just, you know, be back before sundown. And I had a really classic childhood, beautiful childhood. And yeah, I, being gay was definitely something that had presented difficulties in my teenagehood. And feeling that the community was against you was very difficult growing up gay. You know, you thought like you were doing something wrong. You were seen as an outsider. And that, what do they call it? Othering the othering process, where you feel you are outside society. Of course, many gay kids went through it. Many kids from other backgrounds went through it and, um, and still do. You're very connected to your community and when you went away, big changes happened to the country in referenda and attitude shifts. And we're in a community garden which is built by the people and for, for the local people here. What qualities are there in your locality where we're sitting now that brought some of those changes to Ireland in those years among your own people? Do you know, it's a weird thing, but with the marriage referendum, I think one of the things that we all sort of felt so inhibited, I guess, by was this a belief that other people were judging, that other people were very much like against you. But for example, when that pond that we're sitting beside was dug out by my sister who is also an out and proud lesbian and uh, uh, actually out three out of my four <laughs> out of four in my family are I don't know how the dice rolled the way they rolled but it is what it is but she walked in the rural part of South Tipperary coming into the border of Kilkenny she walked along that road there with my dad and they walked to each house to talk to our neighbours and to tell them why the marriage referendum was so important and how it wasn't just people up in Dublin, you know, who it affected. And one of the things that was so powerful that she told me about, where she was expecting doors shut in her face and things like that, people welcomed them into their homes and they talked. And yes, some people disagreed, but overall it was, she was shocked by how, much, how open people were to change. It's, it's, it's fantastic. There's been a real um, acceptance and it's wonderful to feel that acceptance by the community. But at the same time to, Othering isn't all bad. To be othered means that you get to step outside society and sort of look at its flaws and look at its fragility and say, do I want to be part of this? Or how do I want to be part of it? Absolutely. How do I want to be part of this? And where it, treat it like an a la carte menu and say, these parts I will, I will choose, but these parts I'm not going to go near. <laughs> You've been listening to Encounters which was presented and produced by me, Regan Hutchins. In the next episode, we'll hear stories of beginnings and endings, and we'll stare at the sea. <laughs>